So we started this series, major series, three weeks ago, Pray, and I must say, I thought Richard did an outstanding job. He's on holiday this weekend, but he did an absolutely fantastic job last week, and uh, I, I feel really privileged to be following on from him. I thought I'd give him, given him, in the first few verses of John chapter 17, a, a pretty difficult start, but he just knocked it out of the park, as they say. So if you missed that, do... Uh, do check that one out on our podcast. It'll do you good. It certainly did me good. I took loads of notes, and I'm carrying on from that. So let's get straight into it. Let me pray, and then we'll read the next section of this passage out of John chapter 17. Jesus, when we come to your word, we need to apply ourselves. We need to do our best in terms of study, and we need to listen to one another in order to learn. But perhaps even more than that, we need revelation revelation from heaven. And as we, as we think about prayer, Lord God, and how we pray and how you pray, Jesus, give us revelation and insight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 17, picking it up at verse 6. We're going to read a bit of a chunk, and then I'm going to make a few comments on it. Jesus said, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and that believed in you, that you sent me. And I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who have given me, you've given me, for they are yours." And all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. And I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But I am coming to you now, and I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And I have given them your word, and, your, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, one or two terms and things there that I need to explain um, uh, which will help us to understand this. The first of all, when John, in John's gospel, whenever he talks about the world, he's not talking about that wonderful sort of blue and white and green gem hanging in a black sky that the astronauts saw. For him, the world is, is a term where he sums up all that's actually gone wrong in the world. When he uses that expression, the world, he's talking about a world in rebellion, a world that, is, that has gone its own way, that has turned its back on God, and, and in which ruin and riot has broken out. 
So whenever he uses that term, so whenever I mention it from this moment on, and then next week when I conclude this teaching, when you hear that word, the world, it, it, it's not that r- wonderful romantic you know, Greenpeace type thing. It, it's actually a world that is a very, very scary and terrifying place. A world that is turned its back on God. There is another little thing I'm going to mention just to help you, but I'll, I'll come on to that a little bit later. Let's look, first of all, at John 17, 6, the very first verse in this thing. Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, and they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Two or three things I want to just mention there. First off, Richard very helpfully last week said, he asked a question. It's a good question. And it was a good question for me as Fliss was about to fly out to the States. Where do you go to when you feel hard-pressed? Where do you go to when you're feeling low? Where do you go to when you're feeling depressed, threatened, anxious? Now, you know, depending upon who you are, you may go to a number of different things. You know, you may watch too much TV, you may visit the fridge too many times, and all sorts of darker and more negative and destructive things. Where do you go when your back's against the wall? In this prayer, we see where Jesus goes. Jesus goes to prayer. That's his first resort. And this prayer, as many of you know, is the prayer that Jesus prays on the very night that he's going to be betrayed. Next day, he's going to be very busy, dying, being tortured, being rejected, being humiliated, dying for the sins of the world. He's got a very busy day ahead of him, and he knows it. So with all that bearing down upon him, while others sleep, he cannot sleep. He tosses and turns, just like I, to be honest, toss and turn when I'm anxious. But he goes to prayer. So he's in this place of prayer. And so not only is, he, is there a lesson in that, but what does he pray about? Essentially, he, he prays for us, not the world. He says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm dying for the world. But I'm actually praying, Father, for those whom you gave me. That's the second little thing I want to say by way of introduction. This expression, those you gave me, comes up three times in this passage alone. The, those that you gave me. And I was in the park this week. I'm just going to lose this. It's distracting me. I was in the park this week, and I was just struck by that. You know, and I found myself asking the question, you know, who do you think you are? A gift of God? Huh? Anybody ever said that to you? Who do you think you are? Gift of God. God's gift to football. God's gift to industry. God's gift to this primary school. God's gift to this. Who do you think you are? Well, the truth of the matter is, Jesus thinks we are God's gift. And we're a gift to Jesus. And I thought, this is a rather strange expression. And it says in Jeremiah 33, verse 10, it says... You know, seek God, and he will show you deep and unsearchable things you, you don't know. And so I thought I'd pray about it a little bit. And I'm not saying this is the last word on it. But I suddenly found myself, I believe, recognizing that there was a promise in all of this. That Father, before Jesus had come to earth and born as a baby, grown as a man, died upon the cross, 
When father and son were talking about this extraordinarily reckless rescue mission, I believe father made a promise to Jesus and he says it'll be worth it. The world won't understand it. It'll, they'll reject you. It will appear to go terribly wrong. But you, you know, son, out of the world, there will be those who against all odds and expectations will receive the gift of salvation, the gospel, your substitutionary death for them, death for them upon the cross, with joy and with thanksgiving. There will, it will be worth it. I know it's tough, son. Trust me, it will be worth it. And I believe Jesus trusted Father. And Jesus, his whole life was a, was a, a demonstration of trust. When he gets into the Garden of Gethsemane in a few hours, he, he's, very, he's very real. He, he prays, he sweats blood and tears. He says, Father, please, if there's any way that I don't have to go through this, well then, so let, let it, get me out of here. Beam me up, Scotty, you know, as they say in Star Trek. Just get me out of it. But, but Father, I trust you. If I can't be got out of it, get me through it. And he was literally going on the promise that Father said it would be worth it, that some would be saved. And so here I believe, and there's a lot of speculation there, but I think, it's, you know, I, think I could argue the case from Scripture. Jesus is saying, you were right, Father, you, you know, look at these ones. You promised me that actually there would be those who believed me and followed me and laid down their life for me. And they are your gift to me that my sacrifice, my life poured out is not in vain. Now just look around up on the balcony and just turn around, turn your necks, look at one another. You may not feel like God's gift to Jesus, but if you're in Christ, you're a gift from the Father to the Son. Every single one of you says to Jesus, whether you know it or not, it was worth it, son. It was worth it. So all that from just that one verse, I'm going to have to move on rather more rapidly, but, you know, these are they, we are they, whom the Father has given Jesus, and he's praying for us. One last little thing, and then we do have to rush on. Well, not rush, but move on. Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. And, and I think that in my prayer life at the moment, I know, I am praying for greater revelation. You know, I've been doing this a while now, and I carry with me, and I thank God for it, a, a bedrock of insight and knowledge. Stuff I've learned, stuff I've read, stuff I've experienced, stuff I studied, you know, when I was at theological seminary and all the rest of it, all of that. But it's easy to get to stuck with that. And I am praying for greater revelation now. I am praying for greater revelation. And I think what the church needs is greater revelation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I think the church in the West and in the UK in particular is a bit stuck at the moment. We're a bit sort of, not, I wouldn't say we're satisfied, but we're a bit stuck. And we need greater revelation out of the scriptures of whom God is if we're going to take this 21st century by the throat and give it a darn good shake. 
We need revelation. So if you take nothing else from this talk, take this. Pray a dangerous prayer. Pray, Jeremiah 33, 10, show me those deep and unsearchable things that I do not know. Pray for revelation. Okay, moving on. This prayer then, quite a long passage, wasn't it, is essentially a prayer for protection. A prayer for protection. Now, uh, when Fliss and I moved down south, as, you, as many of you know, we were up, in, up north in Leeds and working in inner city, inner city parish, and God moved us down to the leafy lanes of Chorley Wood, to St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, and we went on staff of the church there, just as this whole sort of vineyard thing was kicking in, although we, actually we didn't call it vineyard then. And at some point, we hadn't been there very long, when somebody suggested, I think it was David Pitches, the vicar there, Bishop David Pitches said, you know, I really think you should go to the States. You should go to California. You should visit the vineyard there. I, I think, I don't know what it is, but something tells me it'll be significant for you. Now, we had no thoughts of joining the vineyard or planting a church or doing anything like that, but we, we took him at his word. We said, well, we should go. And somehow, miraculously, and there's a story there, the money came up, but the, there was a problem. <laughs> we had four kids, and we were told that we needed to go for at least two, two weeks, and, uh, and in the end, it was going to be nearer three. Now, that was a bit of a stumbling block for, for, for both Fliss and myself. Fliss had never been apart from the kids. I had been away for a few days, like most blokes, but, but two and a half weeks away from the kids. But we had an ace in the hand, and the ace in the hand was my dear mother-in-law. She used to be a member of this congregation. Now she's up in Wick in Scotland. But my dear mother-in-law and father-in-law, who's gone to glory now, they had busy lives up in the north of England, but, but we rang them. We just felt it was the right thing to do. We asked them whether they would relocate for two and a half weeks. Not we'd take the kids up there, but that they would come and live where we were, put their busy lives on hold, with all their interests and activities and their ministries, it has to be said. Would you please do that? And would you come down and would you look after the kids while we can't look after them because we, we feel it right to go to America? Now, God bless them. They, they prayed about it, but relatively quickly they said, we feel this is important for you guys. We will do that. And it was so that the kids could carry on doing school because it was during term time and all the rest of it. And so they relocated, and Fliss must have spent two days writing notes. You know? Samuel likes two sugars in his milkshake. Give him two sugars. I warn you, if you don't, he'll throw horrible hissy fits. No, I'm teasing. But, you know, post-its everywhere, on the frit, all over there. I mean, post-it city, you know. And Fliss just wrote notes upon notes upon notes. And, uh, of course, I got busy as well. I said to my neighbor, would you mind mowing the lawn? Um, <laughs> and off we went. But the going was facilitated and indeed made possible by the fact that we had spent a lot of time preparing and asking and, and, and prepping our parents, my parents-in-law, this is mum and dad, to, to look after the kids. So what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, Father, you know, I, I've, I've looked after those you've given me. I've done my level best. And with some sadness, he says, at least that's how I read it, I, I did lose one, but well, we know about that one. 
It was said that there would be one, but yeah, I lost him. He doesn't do that with joy and excitement. It's, he's sorry about that. Sorry about Judas. He got to know Judas well. They had some fun things, times together. They, they saw demons cast out. They healed the sick. They saw blind eyes see. He had many happy memories of Judas, but now Judas had gone. And so Jesus was sad and wistful about that, but, but he's, done his, he's saying to Father, I've done everything I can to look after them, but now you know what I, is ahead of me, and I can't look after them anymore. Will you look after them, please? You can sense the depth of concern on Jesus' heart. Isn't it just crazy that almost, it seems almost unnecessary. Of course God's going to look after those who love him. But Jesus still finds it necessary to say, Father, <laughs> please look after them. That's how much he cares for you. He frets about you. He paces up and down at night while you're asleep, concerned about those things that you're concerned about, exams coming up, job interviews, challenges and issues. There's a father in the midst of this, and a father's heart is directed towards you. And you are precious to Jesus because you are the Father's gift to Jesus. You are valuable in his eyes. He put a price on every single one of you. He decided that you were worth dying for. And he's praying for you. Still. Romans 8, check it out. He's still praying for you. So this prayer is, a, is a, a prayer of protection, but it's not just that. He prays not that Jesus would take them out of trouble. Uh, sorry, Jesus prays not that his Father would take them out of trouble, but as Richard reminded us last week, it's not a get me out of here prayer, it's a get them through this prayer. And I have to say to you, and I was reflecting upon this again during this, this uh, week, you know, I've been through, as every single one of you have, and I know some of you very well, and I can, without pointing out, there are some of you going through some very tricky moments at the moment. And the, my prayer has always been, get me out of here, Father, get me out of this, you know, rescue me. I, I, I still, to this day, say, Father, you are a rescuer, so get on with it, rescue me, you know? But the reality is that Jesus doesn't pray that he would get us out of this, as Richard reminded us last week, Jesus prays that he would get us through this. Verse 11. Get them through this. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. So it's an interesting thing. The power of Jesus' name protects Jesus prays that Father would continue to protect them, get them through the issues, through the challenges, by the power of his name. What does that mean? I said there were two, two words. I've explained world. I'm going to explain sanctify in just a minute, and then we'll wind up and finish. But before I do that, I just want to explain this name thing. You know, when I was a kid, during the holidays, one of my great big treats was that during the long summer holiday, my father would take me to work with him on one day. And that was a great treat, and many of you have heard this before. My father was head of auditions for the BBC. There were five departments. The whole of the BBC was divided into five departments. And one of them, in the 60s, seven, in the 60s this was, was light entertainment, head of auditions, and then my father was that. Big deal. 
And so he used to take me to work, and it used to be wonderful. And I got fantastic autographs from all sorts of people, and you know, I got introduced to big names of the day, Eric and Ernie, you know, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, Eric Sykes, all these people. They all seem to know my father. I've told you the story before. But what I haven't told you is this. On one occasion, my father, this is very un-PC, this, said to me, my father was a heavy smoker. He said, Chris, uh, I've run out of fags. Here's two and six. Run down to that little tobacconist on the corner. Get me, uh, I was probably only about nine, you know, get me 20 ciggies and uh, be back, you know, don't get lost. So anyway, I, you know, in those days, they'd do that, you know. I think I'd been running errands to get my father's cigarettes from about the age of three and a half, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I'll run down to the corner shop, get 20 ciggies. As I'm coming back in, the commissioner says, Oi, lad, what do you think you're doing? Where are you? Where's your mum and dad? And he, sort of, he does what a commissioner should do. He stops me in the doorway. I was terrified. He says, but my, but, my, but, but, but my dad's in there. I had to get him the cigarettes. He says, who's your dad then? I said, Ronnie Lane. He said, oh, Ronnie Lane. <laughs> well, how are you, son? <laughs> oh, well, uh, oh, when you get your dad, oh, well, great. Off you go then, mine, there you go. He said, that's the power of a name. So the enemy, Satan, the evil one, can do what he likes with his kids, but there are limits what he can do to the sons and daughters of the king. We have a protection. You may not feel like you're protected. You may not feel that God has had any intervention or any influence or any protection in your life, but you are a follower of Jesus. All I can say to you, somewhat lamely perhaps, is you have no idea what might have happened had it not been for the name of Jesus that is on you. And remember, Jesus said, in this life you will have troubles. <laughs> it's all about getting through, not getting out of. So Jesus prays that Father will continue to protect us by the power of his name. This last word, sanctify, what does that mean? Well, essentially, well, you, if you know anything about it at all, you might say, well, sort of holy or, or you know, like, uh, I don't know, righteous or you know, religious or something like that. Yeah, fine. Actually, to sanctify something means to set it apart for a divine purpose. Set yourself apart for... A divine purpose. This room, this building, warehouse that it be, carpet trashed and filthy as it is, don't bother to look down, believe me. There's a reason for that. This building gets used so much, I don't want to get sidetracked. I was here on Thursday night. We had all the adults with learning difficulties um, from Oakland's College doing their show. It brought me to tears. It, I just love it that this place hosts that kind of event. Their families were here. The, they just had an absolute blast. But I, being the kind of you know, obsessive, compulsive type I was, I saw more coffee and Coke scattered over this floor than I have in a long time. You know, it was, <laughs> but I didn't say anything. I was very good. The building is getting trashed because it's getting used. It's a tool. Nevertheless, there is a sense in which this room, this place, is sanctified. Not because we've cast holy water around, but that it is set apart for a divine purpose. 
And Jesus here says, I have set myself apart and I've set my heart on divine purpose. And the last thing is really that, that Jesus says, you know, I'm setting my, myself apart from the, for this. And I ask that they too would have divine revelation that they might set themselves apart for divine purpose. It's a thought. You didn't think yourself as holy, religious, or righteous, maybe. You are righteous in God's eyes because of the blood of Jesus, but, but the people of God are set apart. We are set apart for a divine purpose. And corporately, we have a divine purpose, and then within that, we have individual callings and opportunities to serve. We are sons and daughters of the Most High, protected by his name, set apart for divine purpose. Jesus is praying on the night before he has his busy day that we will fulfill every iota of that and understand who it is we are in Christ. I'm going to do something just a little different to to finish this off, I'm going to invite you to pray the Jesus prayer. Not the Lord's prayer, but this prayer. And what I've done is, can I have the band come back up while I do this? We might just do this to music. I uh, have put together this little adaptation of the closing few verses of John 15. In fact, it wasn't my idea, Tom Wright, Bishop Tom Wright, suggested in one of his commentaries that you do this, that you actually turn Jesus' prayer around and make it your own prayer. Can we just shove that up, please, uh, James and Nicola? That'd be great. Just read that through. I'll read it out loud, and then let me get the band to play, and then if you feel you are able to, we'll pray it together. Just take a moment to run your eyes over that. I don't want, you, I don't want to sort of coerce you into doing something, because this is a bold and audacious prayer. This is the kind of prayer that you pray with eyes wide open. But actually, it's a prayer that will lead us not only into great challenge and opportunity, but actually into the joy of the Lord. Jesus says in this passage that he's done all this that we might know the same joy that he has, the joy that comes from being sanctified, set apart for a divine purpose. Would you mind just standing? Now, if you're visiting or if you are a, somebody who's just exploring faith, yet this may well be a step too far. In fact, you may be part of us and this may be a step too far. But I'm going to read this prayer and I just invite any that would to join me and pray it out loud. And then I'll say the amen, and then Sam will finish off with a worship song for us. So let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, my prayer is not that you take me out of the world, but that you protect me from the evil one. 
I'm not of the world, even as you, Jesus, are not of the world. Sanctify me by your truth. Your word is truth. Just as you, Father, sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus has sent me into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself so that they too may be fully saved and sanctified. And everyone said, Amen.